You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You are locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. I said it on Twitter. If you missed it, we are actually, at least this week, the number one team-centric football podcast in the United States, a top 25 football podcast overall, including all the national shows, all the great stuff that ESPN and The Ringer and, and all those great programs that are out there, Locked On Packers is in that echelon. So big shout out to everyone who has made that possible to you, the listener. Uh, This doesn't happen if you guys are not as connected to this show as you are. I am eternally grateful for that. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. See all the action from every game with full game replays. Go to nfl.com slash game pass to start your free trial today. Ben Fennell is on the show. We're going to do a little bit of a self-scout. I thought, you know, the Packers are going through the process of putting together a self-scout, so why not have my favorite Packers X's and O guy on the show? Um, and, okay, co-favorite, he and Dusty are, are the, the two best guys in the business at this. Dusty will not take offense to that. He's, Dusty Evely is, is one of the nicest humans you will ever meet in the whole wide world. And uh, he knows Ben is great, too. They're, bo- they're both tremendous. So let's just, you know, 1A, 1B, and I won't say what order it is. Okay, how about that? Is that better? I, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings because Dusty and Ben are two of my favorite people on Packers Twitter, uh, two of my favorite people to talk ball with. And I, I regularly, I'm, I'm admitting something to you guys. If I don't know what something is, if I'm watching a play and a route concept and I don't know what it's supposed to be, a defense, something like that, I, I will DM them and I'll say, hey, what is this? <laughs> what, what is this supposed to be? Because I want to try and understand it. And then, you know, I can I can do my best to relay it to you such that I'm able to understand it and then do that. Before we get to Ben, though, we have to talk about what happened on Thursday night. Earlier in the week, we talked about why... This is such an important week for the Packers, even though they're not playing. You know, week five may be the bye week for the Green Bay Packers, but two NFC North teams have the chance to knock off potential NFC rivals. And if you don't fear the Vikings and the Bears, then you want to root for them. And the Bears one is even easier because... The Packers play the Buccaneers in less than 10 days. They get two shots to beat the Bears, and I don't think anyone is afraid of the Bears sneaking in to win the division. That doesn't mean don't take them seriously, but they're not a 12-win team, which Green Bay certainly looks like at this point. You get two chances to beat the Bears. 
You get one to beat Tampa Bay, and that one could be the tiebreaker. You go one and one against Chicago, you're still probably going to win the NFC North, and you're not going to hurt yourself in the playoff race. You lose to Tampa, you could lose a head-to-head tiebreaker that is critical when it comes down to deciding the playoff race. Chicago took care of business. Was it a great football game? Absolutely no, it was not. It was, at times, an impossibly ugly football game. And part of that is because uh, these are two teams that play defense. They are two of the only teams in the league so far that have done that. Uh, And the Bears won 20-19 at home uh, in a game where Tampa was favored by a field goal, three and a half in some places. So clearly Tampa Bay was seen as the superior team. I don't know why, frankly, because I haven't been impressed with Tampa all season and they were coming in hobbled. Chris Godwin is still out. Mike Evans, not 100%. And I guess I just don't know how this offense can consistently score points. They got hot in the second half against the Chargers. But in this game on Thursday, the Bears roughed this Tampa Bay offensive line up. Khalil Mack was dominant, and they were able to get pressure on the interior. And you can get after these offensive tackles. And Tom Brady turtles in the face of pressure. We saw it time and time again. He sees someone in his face. Rather than trying to escape, he's going down. He's going down. I mean, it's like, you know, an armadillo going into his you know, trying to trying to go into his little ball or whatever. I mean, it is remarkable how much he just does not want to get hit. And when you think about what Green Bay defensively does the best, they want to go out, they want to play press man coverage. Okay, you can't get the ball out quickly. What else do they want to do? They want to penetrate. Sedarius Smith is the number two player in pass rush win rate at defensive tackle. By the way, he's an outside linebacker. We expect Kenny Clark is going to be healthy for next week's game. We don't know about Rashawn Gary yet, but you know if he plays, then you add Kingsley Kiki, the development that he has made. Preston Smith comes in. He gets a nice matchup with Donovan Smith. Uh, when, they, when they go to that, and Tristan Wirfs, uh, not only did he not play well against Kalamak, but he's hurt. And, and so you're looking at this game going, okay, well, if they can't stop the Bears from getting to 20, how are they going to stop the Packers from getting to 30? And even though I think the Bears' defense is better than the Packers' defense, if they can't stop the Bears' pass rush, I don't know how they're going to stop the Packers' pass rush. And the pass rush is what is ultimately, I think, going to doom this Tampa Bay offense. Teams that can rush the passer, that can get after Tom Brady and won't let him load up to get down the field are going to be able to defend him. Well, that's what Green Bay, at least theoretically, can do. So what I saw on Thursday leads me to believe that neither the Buccaneers or the Bears are legitimate contenders in the NFC. And, and the Buccaneers, for them, it, it is a continuation of everything we've seen. I don't want to overreact to one game. But nothing I've seen so far from either of these teams says they are contenders. They have not been impressive 
in any of the ways that a team like Seattle or Green Bay or to a degree San Francisco have been this year to a degree New Orleans. By the way, New Orleans already beat Tampa once this year. So I I guess I don't understand the fear. Tampa Bay is an early favorite, two and a half against the Packers. Under normal circumstances, that would mean that Las Vegas thinks the Packers are the better team, but um, home field advantage does not mean the same right now. So it is hard to square that line with the way that that I think these two teams are really capable of playing against each other. Maybe Chris Godwin plays. Maybe Mike Evans gets a little healthier and, and things change a little bit. But as we sit here today, the Bears get to 4-1. and one. Great for them. They do not feel like a 4-1 and one team. They do not feel like a real NFC contender. But the loss for the Bucs is more important because if Green Bay beats Tampa Bay in a little over a week, they are absolutely in the driver's seat in the NFC because the Seattle division is brutal and the NFC North does not look to be brutal. And then not only do you bank the win and you get the extra loss so that that gives you a buffer should there be a tiebreaker at the end of the year, but then you also get that tiebreaker And we know, we saw it last year, those tiebreakers can be absolutely vital. All right, today's episode is brought to you by Visa. Help support your local businesses, whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops. Local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. They remember your order, call you by name, and always are giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you're there, look for the contactless symbol to tap and pay with contactless Visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Today's episode is also brought to you by Pepsi. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football watching. All right, let's get to my conversation with the indefatigable Ben Fennel, uh, the work that he does at The Athletic is so valuable. I use it all the time. Uh, it, it helps me uh, confirm what I'm seeing or it helps challenge what I'm seeing on the field. And it, not only his Twitter account, but the, the work that he does at The Athletic is, is so useful for, for Packer fans. Follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben, thanks for coming on Locked on Packers. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been. Uh, really excited to talk about this exciting 4-0 team, MVP candidate heading into the bye week. It seems like a pretty surreal 2020 start. There, there had to be one good thing about 2020, right? We had to get one good thing, and, and so far <laughs> it's been it's been the play of of this Packers offense in particular, and, and especially for someone like you who gets into the nitty-gritty of the film, breaks it down, the work that you do at, at The Athletic is an invaluable resource to me and, and for Packer fans. What has your experience been like just sort of broadly 
on when you've when you've gone back and looked at this team because to my certainly less trained eye than you, uh, it, it looks like there's a lot of really cool things going on. Yeah, absolutely. But first and foremost, Aaron Rodgers is making a whole lot of highlight plays from the pocket. Yep. And people know that's been my <laughs> moniker for the yep. past couple of years. And um, as you get older in your career, you don't hang on to the ball longer. And as we've seen him deal with some knee injuries and being just a 36-year-old quarterback in the NFL, the plays outside of structure have dried up. It's just great to see him operating within structure, with timing and rhythm of this offense, trusting the offense, trusting the players around him. He only has five scrambles on the season through four games. In the Monday night game, I feel like the two plays that he held onto the ball were the two problematic plays. The one where he extended out to the left for eight seconds, eventually got a defensive holding call, but ended up taking a sack on the play. And then two or three plays later, tried to break out the back door of the pocket and tweaked his knee. Seemed like right. bad things happen now when Aaron Rodgers gets onto the ball. <laughs> but that's been few and far between in 2020. Very few scrambles, very few play extensions, and very few turnover-worthy plays. I don't think he's had any. I don't think he's put the ball in harm's way. And that's such a winning formula for any football team when your starting quarterback can protect the football and never put your defense in bad spots with boneheaded turnovers. I'm seeing a very efficient Aaron Rodgers in 2020. Yeah, and and we can't understate the the difference of the rhythm and the accuracy. I mean, you you were you were on this going back to, you know, 2018, even just little plays. You know, there was a play Monday night where he makes a throw on a quick little uh, screen out to the to the trip side, and it's a little receiver screen. But he put the ball in front of the receiver, and even those little things, he wasn't doing that last year and the year before. And and that can be the difference in a negative play and a positive play. Absolutely, especially on those quick underneath throws where the placement is really the determining factor on whether the receiver is in a good spot to get upfield and get those extra yards. You're seeing much better accuracy. I remember I put a clip up two years ago with a lot of those boneheaded throws out to the flat, those simple passes. We don't really know what the issue was with Aaron Rodgers, whether a ball was stuck in his hand or his miscommunication with the receiver, not running the right depth or the right timing. But Aaron Rodgers looks very comfortable. He looks like he's getting the ball out very clean. Everybody is kind of scouring through that 2010 tape to figure out what he saw as he referenced before the season, (laughs) whether it was something mechanical or footwork or uh, scheme wise. Uh, But it's just great to see him play within rhythm and structure. And there's some scheme design as well that alludes to that, like those little jet motion pop passes where he's just popping the pass forward literally two feet. That goes down as a pass. And that's really going to help your time to attempt uh, here and there, which he's really improved uh, since he's been kind of a bottom dweller as far as holding on to the ball. And that's been his style throughout most of his career. What's been really fun, too, is you, know, you, you go back to that week one. They ran a lot of those little pop passes. I think in the in the next three weeks, they've they've maybe run it once or twice, but they're using the the fake a ton. And it seems to be working. That's what I love about this offense is. You don't have to, you and I talked about this off air, you don't have to give to Tyler Irvin on those jet sweeps more than a handful of times over a couple of weeks, and it can affect the defense. When you're when you're looking at this offense, what are the things that you think they're really doing well right now? Well, certainly the illusion of complexity with all those moving parts, the pre-snap motions and shifts, and I love they came right out the gate and showed they can do it. They showed the jet motions, they showed the end arounds. 
And now we've kind of just used it as a decoy. And you always have to bring balance back to the force. You know, you can't go too long without showing it and using it or teams will start to realize it's just a decoy. But I just love all the moving parts pre-snap, all the bunches, all the stacks, all those metrics that LaFleur has moved his offense into the top five use of were perpetually a bottom five team under McCarthy. Right. So using all these design and scheme aspects to help the offense, help receivers get open, help them get off press coverage, help your quarterback, help the moving parts, you know, and keeping a defense off balance pre-snap. These are things to help your offense. And it's just mind boggling to see teams around the league not using those in 2020 to help your young quarterbacks. Um, there are pros and cons to all of it. It can all be discussed, even the pre-snap motion. Guys like Peyton Manning didn't like that. Right. He wanted a stale picture of the defense. He didn't want them moving around to assess the defense and the coverage pre-snap. So it's different strokes for different folks. But I really love the different personnel groupings of Matt LaFleur. And some of that's been uh, because of injuries. But I really think he wants to be more two back and more multiple tight end and not rely on those 11 personnel three receiver sets. And we saw that Monday night running the same exact play just out of different formations and different personnel groupings, the illusion of complexity. You don't need this cheesecake factory menu, you know, uh, that some coaches have. Like Andy Reid, you have a bunch of plays that work, a bunch of foundational concepts, and then let's dress them up with different personnel groupings, different formations. But at the end of the day, it's the same play. And I think those are the best offenses in the NFL, and the Packers are one of the, the kind of premier groups in executing that. Yeah, and even though it's not the same tree of, of systems, the Patriots have been doing that for years. They've been running the same core concepts for 20 years. They've just adapted the way that they look pre-snap, the the personnel groupings that they use them from. It, it is, if you're not doing it, to your point, it's sort of like... And the Eagles won a Super Bowl doing that. Exactly. I mean, they didn't do anything complex, anything too diverse. You just see the same concepts. and like, oh, they ran out of this formation. Oh, I never saw it out of that personnel grouping. But at the end of the day... It's the same play. Why? Because they work when run properly. Exactly. And, and the execution, I, I, I think we we give Matt LaFleur a lot of credit and he deserves a lot of credit, but they're executing at a, at a much higher level this year. The details are there in a way that they weren't last year. And, and that makes everything easier. A play works much better when you execute it as it was designed to work. If you were going to defend this offense, I asked Mike Sando this question your colleague at The Athletic a few weeks ago, and he said, teams that are able to stop this run game, are, are that's the only way you can you can stop this offense. Do you agree with that? And, and if so, how do you stop this run game and not make yourself vulnerable to what they can do down the field? Well, when you see a high-powered offense really clicking and executing in both phases of the game, you have to do something to tie one of their hands behind their back. Right. And that typically starts with stopping the run. I promise you in 95% of defensive rooms, the primary goal in 2020 NFL is to still stop the run. To play sub package, to attack, you know, the pass game is a privilege. And you have to stop the run in order to do that. And the Packers are, I mean, they're generating over six yards of carry on first down. It's yeah. second in the NFL, only the, the staggering seven yards of carry from Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns and their rushing attack. So the fact that the Packers are not only bounce play calling on early downs, but running so efficiently, when you're generating over six a pop on first down running the ball, the whole playbook's open after that. Now the defense is on their heels, doesn't know what to expect, and that's been the formula in 2020. Everything is balanced. Everything is clicking. 
and defenses aren't making the Packers one-dimensional. You have to take something away. And some teams have tried to play too deep and dare the Packers to run, only for them to run for a franchise record, you know, against the, the Lions or whatever <laughs> right. they did in week two. So it's a pick your poison. And you have to be aggressive to do something to tie one of their hands behind their behind their back. And that's what I'm doing. I'm playing single high against 36-year-old Aaron Rodgers, getting an extra body into the box, trusting my guys on the outside, and trying to have Aaron Rodgers make low percentage throws down the field to try to stop them. But I think they will run right through you if you think you're going to play too deep in light boxes. Yeah, and, and in the second half, we're going to get a better test of that, right? When they play the Buccaneers, they play the 49ers, they play the Colts. Um, I, I can't wait to see them go up against this Colt defense. I think Matt Eberflus is uh, a rising star in the league, and and I, I think that will uh, They're very us. quietly a dominant group. That's a really fun front seven oh, to watch. A lot of unsung guys at DeForest Buckner out there. Uh, yeah, Xavier Rhodes really, rejuvenated. Yeah, absolutely. And then the Buccaneers, very quietly a dominant run group run group for like three or four years now. Yeah. Um, and they have some pass rushers as well. Sue seems like he never comes off the field and it just keeps on going. And Vita Vea, really dominant run defense. So you mentioned 95% of of defensive rooms focusing on stopping the run. That 5% resides at 1265 Lombardi Avenue. <laughs> uh, and I know that this is a, a, a bugaboo of yours and has been for a while. Um, you know, we, we have talked about it a lot on this show and, and on Twitter and elsewhere. We saw Monday night, though, they they were able to play a lot of sub and still get the the run fits in. The defensive line played much better. Dean Lowry, Tyler Lancaster. So where are you with what this defense is right now and where it can get to? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I feel like the formula works right now and it's. Forcing them to put, forcing opponents to put together long drives to generate six points, not allowing the cheap plays over your head, stopping the run on early downs, uh, and essentially the offense and the special teams not putting the defense in bad positions, which that's all seemed to click so far. Atlanta is not the the cream of the crop with a running offense or no. an offensive line, and I think that showed. I think we beat them up on their interior, and you need to beat up the lesser competitions like you know the the Chris Lindstrom's of the world and whoever they had cycling out left guard out there. Um, and I think we did. It's the third down conversation that's so interesting. And I think enamors Packers fans thinking that the coverage is essentially Swiss cheese out there. And it is. They give up a lot of completions. They give up 80% completions on third down. That's worse than the NFL. I mean, Drew Brees was perfect. Kirk Cousins was perfect in weeks one and week three. But they're still getting off the field. They've allowed one catch over 15 yards on third down all season. Wow. So it's a lot of the underneath stuff. They're generating three and outs better than anybody else in the NFL, as I uh, commented to you the other day. Mm -hmm. So it's such an interesting aesthetic with that. They're allowing the catches, but the results are good. They're getting off the field. They're, you know, they're, they're forcing teams to put together long drives, which is a tough formula for any NFL offense to keep going 10, 12 plays to get touchdowns. You got to get those explosive plays. So, Limiting the explosive plays, getting into favorable down and distances, stopping the run on early downs. I feel like they've done enough right now. So if you were an offense coming in and saying, okay, this is how we want to attack this this defense. We know how they're going to play. Uh, we know what they want to be uh, in, in terms of their sub-package personnel. This is how we're going to attack what, what they do well and what they don't do well. 
Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I really think our, our corners and our secondary have done a good job this year. I want to attack the the linebackers and especially the yeah. inexperienced linebackers, whether it's Ty Summers in there or the very impressive play of Chris Barnes. Uh, but at the end of the day, attacking those linebackers traditionally is going to be off play action and you have to establish the run on early downs because the Packers want to get light. They want to get sub and the nickel in their dimes and you have to force them to, to stay bigger. You have to force Dean Lowry's and Tyler Lancaster's to be on the field. And I think if you see enough of them, you got the Packers defense where you want them. But when they get smaller and they get fast and they get flying around, it becomes really tough, especially when they can stop the run being small like they did last year against some of the teams like the, the Vikings and the Bears to be able to play good run defense in dime package. Now everything's clicking. So you have to force the Packers to stay bigger and you have to stay at them with the run game. You have to attack them through the run and then everything else opens up. You see how I feel like everything is run based with mm-hmm. offense? <laughs> I do. I I, I I do notice that. And I and look, this is this is still, you know, for what for whatever um differences there are in twenty twenty versus the nineties, um, the run game is still a really important part of of NFL offenses. And in some ways it's making a little bit of a comeback because of all the cool misdirection and and all the interesting things that coaches like Matt LaFleur and Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay, um, you know, Greg Roman are putting together. It it can put defenses in a bind in a way that that some of the passing concepts, you know, we we we've seen them. I, I do as I'm listening to you describe the kind of team that that can give the Packers defense problems. Every box is being ticked with the 49ers. So this is the team that I think has Packer fans the most concerned. What has changed about that matchup for this team in terms of their ability to go to either either go to San Francisco or play in Green Bay and beat a 49er team that seems to me to be ideally suited to at least attack them defensively? Yeah, I mean, the, the Niners have obviously had the injury bug early on. Debo's been in and out, Kittle in and out, the quarterback's been in and out. Um, I think they have some questionable talent on the interior with, you know, Daniel Brunskill at right guard, uh, who's a pretty light in the pants tackle. Now they moved him over to guard. McGlinchey's been very up and down. I really like Brandon Ayuk and what he, uh, you know, adds to the offense and obviously Kyle Juszczyk, but. Uh, Bit of an identity crisis on offense with all those injuries and yep. trying to figure out who's going to be the quarterback behind Jimmy G. So it feels like the, you know, the the difference in competition is kind of leveled back out with the way the Packers have played and um, has kind of rebounded from their injuries and their adversity earlier in the season. But defensively, the Niners kind of feel the same. But again, just keep pointing to injuries. They didn't have Nick Bosa last week, you know, against the Eagles, and they didn't have a lot of their star players. So. We end up seeing these guys down again in the playoffs. I feel like the the mood and the aesthetics around both these teams will be very, very different. So if the Niners want to go through some adversity, I think now is the time to do it. And they are. They've kind of struggled a little bit early on to have identity, to execute on both sides of the ball. But I think they're a good team. They have good foundation. They have good players. Once they get healthy, they'll be fine. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, just just a way to, to spin this forward a little bit. Uh, one of the teams that the Packers are going to be competing in the NFC with um, coming out of the bye week and, and for the rest of the season is going to be this Buccaneers team. And and I have not been impressed, super impressed with them um, in in a way that I have with with some of the other teams in the NFC, certainly Seattle's offense and, and what they do really, really well. 
But that second half against the Chargers showed us what that offense can be, and and the defense was able to to fill the, the holes that were. I mean, they were they were leaking water or leaking oil, whatever <laughs> metaphor you want to use in the first half there against Justin Herbert. How do you see these two teams matching up when they get together next week? Yeah, offensively, you just see, you know, they're kind of up and down offensively, but I see an instilled confidence with Tom Brady. You know, and the offensive line seems to be playing better. I love Tristan Wirfs there at right tackle, their first-round pick. Uh, They have the vertical guys in the offense, whether it's Scotty Miller or uh, some of the speedy guys in the outside in combination with Mike Evans. I just saw O.J. Howard went on IR, but they still have Gronk and Cameron Bray and a couple of interesting running backs. You see the offense to be much more confident. Defensively, great run defense, but a very, very young back end. Yep. I mean, they have – out of their four core secondary members, one's a rookie, one's a sophomore, and two are third-year players. So yeah. very young, very inexperienced. I'm just interested to see how that back end is going to compete down the stretch of a season. This is a playoff contending team in Tampa now. They're three and one. They play tonight against the three and one Chicago Bears. Really interested to see how they perform. Just want to see if maybe the youth and inexperience on the back end ends up biting them down the stretch of the season. I think the offense is really hitting their stride. They look confident. The run defense is great. They get after the passer. Some questionable bodies and youth on the back end. I want to see if that's going to hold up for an entire season. And I don't know if it's just in Tom Brady's contract that he needs to have uh, a player like Scotty Miller on his team at all times. <laughs> but for the last 15 years, it seems like he has. And and we saw on <laughs> Sunday, he he can make plays. He's not just you know, the token white slot receiver out there. He's a real player who, who got Casey Hayward a couple times. I mean, that that was eye-opening to me. Yeah, and Mike Evans with his size and route running sure. and speed. But Scotty Miller, 5'9", 170-pound speed demon. He does one thing, he runs, and he does it really well. And quietly, it'll never happen, but they have an offensive lineman that's worthy of Offensive Rookie of the Year in Tristan Wirfs. Yep. Antoine Winfield Jr. is worthy of Defensive Rookie of the Year right now. He's a missile. Getting production out of their young players this early in combination with the free agents clicking, you know, we have to do consider that Tom Brady was a free agent acquisition. And um, just like, you know, I think they have a really interesting mix of of youth and depth right now. I just want to see if it's all going to click and be sustained uh, through the whole season. But I don't see them going anywhere. I don't either. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun second, not second half, I guess, second two thirds of the season. Assuming you feel we like to- a bye week kind of is the line of the it season does, for first half, not. second half, but it's so early in week five. <laughs> well, and and it unfortunately it might be just because we might only get to ten games or something like that. I mean, who knows what's going on with with everything that that the NFL is dealing with and that we are all dealing with, of course. Um, and in that vein, uh, Ben, I hope you, you're able to stay safe and stay sound over the next couple months here, and, and uh, we'll get you back on. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Pete. You're worried about the Packers injury report. I get it. But what happens when you wind up on the injury report? The Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network is transforming the way healthcare is delivered to make it easier for you to connect with the best of academic medicine when and where you need it. But what exactly is academic medicine anyway? First, it's rare. There are only 120 academic medical centers in the country. The Freighter and MCW network is one of only two in the state and the only one in eastern Wisconsin. 
Academic medicine makes possible leading-edge primary and specialty care, research to find innovative cures for complex diseases, and the education of the next generation of healthcare professionals. It's like having a two-time MVP quarterback under center. You know you're in good hands, and you might just see things you never thought possible. Freighter and MCW physicians have been part of many scientific discoveries of new ways to prevent and treat diseases. Still wondering what academic medicine offers you? Visit www.freighter.com slash academic. The Freighter and the Medical College of Wisconsin Health Network. All right, I want to thank this Ben again is what is for possible. joining the show. Always great to talk to him. And uh, he, he is just, uh, I think, one of the smartest guys watching the league today and, and, and breaking down the film. You know, we don't always see eye to eye on approach and philosophy. But when it comes to the X's and O's, it's it's unimpeachable. I mean, the, the work that he puts in and the knowledge that he has is is absolutely as good as as anyone you are going to find following this team. So so go make sure you are supporting the work that he does and everything that that is there for Packer Nation. We're going to be back next week previewing Packers Bucks. As I said, this is a a marquee matchup in every sense of the word, not just because it's Rodgers versus Brady, but huge playoff implications. So it's a big week of shows, and we're going to try and do our best to deliver to get you ready for all of it. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that, 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.